right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 13. That's the passage we're going to be at this morning. And uh, as you're doing that, I want to basically explain, we're going to be continuing our conversation where we left off last week on the topic of abiding in Christ. And so uh, essentially what I'm uh, specifically going to be locking in on is the transformation that will occur in our lives and through our lives when we are abiding in Jesus. So this is an amazing thing that we're going to talk about uh, this morning. I'm very excited about it. But in short, um, our lives will impact the world around us. How many of y'all believe that? Say amen. Come on, man. Our, our lives will have the opportunity to impact the world around us only when we are abiding in an ongoing relationship with Jesus. The deeper our relationship is with Christ, the more wonder or the more impact we're going to see God make through our lives. So that's going to be the uh, scope of today's passage. And as you're turning to 2 Corinthians, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one near you uh, or somewhere, maybe under a chair nearby. Grab that Bible. Um, make it yours. Turn with us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. And as you're doing that, I'm going to kind of, uh, kind of open up with a question, a, a, just a real, real life question. How many of you all can remember a time when you met somebody that seemed to have the appearance of being love struck? Anybody remember that? You can think of a person or maybe you're still love struck, huh? Huh? Or uh, maybe, you're, maybe you're not, uh, but you can think of somebody who might have been. Uh, well, yeah, the point is this. You know when somebody's love struck, don't you? Uh, when they act crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they, you, you see them in the dormitory, or they're, uh, you know, they're walking in with you in the mall or something, or just telling you about this person, and, and they always, t- they, they just kind of drift off into outer space. Like, they stare at the moon like it's a big pizza pie, right? Um, that's amore. Well, I'm not going to sing for you, but that's according to the Italian tradition. That means you're in love. Um, but also, I mean, or they, they, you find these people doing crazy, singing in the rain, right? Um, that old popular movie. Um, the point is this, we tend to act crazy when we're in love with other people, um, specifically uh, maybe a, uh, someone you're dating or something. In fact, I can remember, this is probably not in my notes, but I'll go ahead and say it. Um, whenever I was uh, dating my wife in college, um, yeah, she was a senior, I was a freshman. We'll leave it there. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, uh, we had, anyway, I was just dating her, and I can remember in, in, in dormitory, in the dormitory we were in, we didn't have to pay for stamps. They could actually do, they called it night mail. So it was a cheap way of doing, you know, letters and stuff to people in the different dormitories. Well, she would write me love letters and I would write her love letters, but she would always um, put on the cover of the love letter, the abbreviation SWAC. And I was like, what the world is SWAC? Somebody had to explain to me, it means sealed with a kiss. So I was smooching the paper when I found that out. I was like, she kissed this paper. <gasps> you know, I'm walking around. It's just that I can remember, we do stupid things. We're crazy when we think about how we react uh, when we are in love. But apparently, we shouldn't consider it strange uh, when people accuse us of living crazy lives um, after we are introduced to a relationship with Jesus. Because in the, in the text we're getting ready to read, that's what happened with Paul. And so I want to, if, uh, if you're there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and you're ready to get into God's word, say, let's go. Okay, let's do this. So let's read verse 13. I'm going to show you where we're getting this from. Um, verse 13 starts off, and he says, For if we are beside ourselves, in other words, if we are crazy, if we've lost our minds, he continues, and he says, it is for, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
Let me stop for just a minute. Apparently, Paul was being accused of living a crazy life, and rightfully so, right? I mean, he, he doesn't have a home. He's like a nomad. He travels around to different cities and, and, and tries to make disciples of Christ and tell people about Jesus, and, and then they, he plants different churches wherever he goes. I mean, he's living a selfless, radical life. When everybody else is trying to, you know, come up with their retirement planning and figure out what they're going to do with their lives and make sure their kids are okay and everything. Those are all normal things. But Paul, for some reason, he kind of is focused on one thing. And verse 14, he tells us why he lives such a radical life. Look what he said. For the love of Christ controls us. Such an interesting phrase, but the point is, Paul is saying, I live the life I live, even though it may appear to be radical and may seem to be that I've lost my mind. It's because I am infatuated with the love of Jesus. Like he's transformed my life. And I can't help but express that. The more I think about him, the more I'm amazed by him. Now, when he wrote this originally, he wrote it in the Greek language. Um, and when he wrote the word uh, control, like Christ's love controls us, that word control actually means to compress down to the point where it builds up pressure. So it's kind of like a Coke bottle, all right? So Paul's saying, man, when I spend time with Jesus, man, I can't help, but my heart is stirred. I'm on, I'm on fire when I realize how much he loves me, that he's adopted me. He's changed me. He's given me an eternal home. He's forgiven me. I was a murderer. See what's happening? His heart is being stirred inside of him. So when I open this, no, I'm not going to open the bottle. Um, but you know what's going to happen when I open the bottle? Everything that's inside of this bottle is going to come out. That's exactly what Paul is describing how the Christian life should be. When more, the more we spend in Jesus' presence and the more dazzled and amazed we are by him, the more it's going to cause a reaction in our hearts and in our souls. Um, we're going to live a different life. It, our lives are going to be transformed by his love. And so um, this is kind of where we're going to see in this text. He's going to unpack for us three things, three wonderful truths about the reality of who Jesus is and how much he loves us. And because he loves us so much in these three specific ways, it's caused a chain reaction in Paul's life, and it should cause a chain reaction in ours as well. Um, so before we get into the rest of the text, let's pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to continue to manifest his presence here and among us this morning as we gather. Lord, we are coming to you humbly, God, because we recognize that we need you more than anything else in our lives. Life is, is too short. Our life is, too, is, is way too short to waste it on trivial things. But God, you've given us a life now in Christ. You've done something special. You've, you've allowed us to understand how much you love us. And God, I pray that today you would allow our hearts to, to catch up with the reality of who we are in Christ. God, I pray that you would change our lives this morning as we, as we get into this passage. I pray that you will compel us to live more, more passionately for you, as is the right response the more we spend time with you. Show us your love, Jesus, we pray. In your name we ask. Amen. Okay. All right, let's pick up in verse 14 and we'll continue. All right, so Paul is explaining. He says, listen, if I've lost my mind, it's because the love of Christ controls us. And here's what he says. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, we're going to work our way through this part a little slowly, but I want you to understand what he's saying. One has died for all. Speaking about Jesus, Jesus has died for all. Question. 
I didn't grow up in church, so maybe you can identify with me if you're in here, didn't grow up in church. Um, I have no clue why Jesus died. Why did, why did he die? That's a great question that the whole Christian faith is built on. So I'm going to encourage you. This is, let me explain why Jesus died. The passage says he died for all. That word for literally means on behalf of us all. He had to die on behalf of us. Well, what is that? Why did he have to die on our behalf? Well, if you think back and all the way back to when God first created man and woman, he created us, humanity, to be in a unique relationship with God the creator. An eternal relationship that's not supposed to end. It was a beautiful, harmonious relationship, and it was referred to in the beginning of the Bible as with the Garden of Eden. Like he made this beautiful, he made, he made earth so that we can enjoy God and enjoy everything he's made around us and worship him and walk with him and be in a beautiful relationship with him. But man and woman rebelled against God. We sinned against the Lord. We, he told us something we should not do, and we did it. Say, wait a minute, they're odds on them. That's not on me. You do it too. Like everyone does this. Everyone disobeys the Lord. By nature, we do disobey God. Did anybody teach you how to lie? No. Did anybody teach you how to steal gum? No. You just do it. It's in you. It's in me. Well, that rebellion towards God, because he is perfect in every way, he's perfect in righteousness and holiness, he cannot be in the presence at the same place and at the same time with evilness, with, with rebellion. So he had to create a separation between God and man, which is in the Garden of Eden. You can remember the story. God kicked them out of the garden because the moment they rebelled against him, death was introduced to all the world. Death, that means separation from God. Man and God cannot be in relationship anymore while there's this sin in the way, this rebelliousness towards him. And that means death, physical death, was plagued upon the entire universe, entire world. And then there's an eternal death. We will forever be separated from God. This is a massive problem. And we cannot fix this problem. There's nothing we can do to fix this. So God also being 100% perfect and his love designed a rescue plan that, which, that has literally shocked um, the, the planet by what he's done for us. The Bible says that God knew that we couldn't fix this brokenness between us, so he became a man, was born in the likeness of man, became a man. Jesus is the physical form of God. Came into this world so that he could die in our place. That separation that has to occur, somebody has to die. It's either you or you have a substitute. And Jesus became the substitute for us. Jesus came into the world and said, listen, I'll take their place. I'll step in the way. I'll endure the full wrath of God that the justice of God requires. And that's what he did on the cross. That's why he hung on the cross. That's why he died. He died for all. Just like the song we just sang. It is John 3.16. So the point of Jesus dying was so that he can, he can take on our punishment. Now continue reading. He says in verse, four, uh, verse 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised back to life. So Jesus dies in, the, in our place. Everything that we deserve was placed in Jesus. In other words, we died with Christ. When he was on the cross, it was as if we were on the cross. It was as if we were bearing the wrath of God. That old man that you, that Joe Catronio was before he met Christ is dead now. But in, according to verse 15, he tells us that now we've been given new life, which is the point that Paul makes first that I want you to see in your handout. 
The first thing that, we want, that I want you to see about God's love, Jesus loves us, so that means he gave me new life. Therefore, I live for Jesus. That's what Paul is making a statement about. He says, I, when I realized, when I looked to Jesus for my salvation, he was my deliverer from the wrath of God. Now because of what Jesus has done for me, now I, I didn't just die with Jesus, but I, I have a new life because of Jesus. Like I'm not the same Joe Catronio I was before I met Christ, and neither are you. Not Joe Catronio, obviously, but um, thank the Lord. Uh, but you're, you're, you're not the same person you were before you met Christ. And that's the point Paul's making. With this new life, Paul says, I no longer live for myself. I live for him. I live for Jesus. That's why I'm living a radical life, because I have a new life. That's the point he's making, which is quite, quite amazing. Um, in fact, if you think about it, look down in verse 16. He says some things really changed after he understood that Jesus came for him and that he could have new life. Notice the first thing that he said changed about him. Verse 16, continuing. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What does that mean? We regard no one according to the flesh. What he's talking about, uh, I look at people differently now. Like before, I used to think of people based on their race or their ethnicity or their socioeconomic status. But when I look at people now, I don't see them as uh, their physical forming, who, who, they, who they are physically. I have one thing in my mind. Are they saved or are they lost? That's how I see people. My perspective of people has dramatically changed because of this new life that I have in Christ. That's what we can expect to happen. We can expect to happen the same thing that happened to Paul. The more we are close to Jesus, the deeper in relationship we are with Jesus, the more in amazement we're going to stand at this new life that he gave us. And that now when we look at people that we're at work with, we don't even see them as, you know, rich or poor or homeless or whatever. They're just lost or they're saved. That's what we can expect to transform in our hearts the deeper we get in relationship with Christ. In fact, it reminds me of uh, uh, 1912, the sinking of the Titanic. You might remember this story. But whenever the sinking of the ship happened, it was such a traumatic event um, in London for the first several days after the uh, news got back to London, um, everybody uh, that was there that had loved ones or friends or relatives on the, on the ship, the only thing they cared about was, were they safe? And so for the first several days after the sinking, the, the, on the front cover of every page or every uh, paper in London was one thing. It was either this one, all these list of names, two columns, lost or saved. That's the only thing they cared about. They didn't care how much money was in their retirement plan. They didn't care about where they were living. All they said, are they alive? Are they alive? And that's exactly what Paul is saying happens to us when we are in a deeper relationship. The only thing that matters to us about people is are they saved or are they lost? And the second thing he mentions here in the same passage, the same verse, 16, he says not only did it change his perspective of other people, but notice what else he says. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer either. So he says it's changed his perspective of Jesus as well. See, Jesus, we are told that he is, he is God in the flesh. He's Lord of lords and King of kings. He's the Alpha and the Omega. That's what the Bible tells us who Jesus is. And any historian that takes the Bible at face value will tell you that's exactly what this book is declaring who Jesus is. But Paul says, it's no longer that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's that he's my King of kings and he's my Lord of lords. He's the Lord of my life. 
He has the ultimate authority of whatever happens in my life. I submit to his authority. Whatever he says goes for me. That's what he says happens to us when we are in deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus. He transforms our perspective of the authority of Jesus and and as it relates also to other people, how we view other people. Two things right away that we can see about this, this, this new life that we have in Christ. I'm going to take you a little bit further. He continues this thought. The second thing that I want to point out to you, in your, that he, a second truth that Paul mentions here that transforms his life because of what Jesus has done for him is this. Because Jesus loves me, he gave us a new identity. Therefore, I belong to Jesus. Say, where are you you getting that from, Joe? He gave me a new identity. Well, it's the very next verse, verse 17. Listen to what he says. Therefore, this is so cool. If anyone is in Christ, circle that phrase in Christ. We'll come back to that in a minute. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Oh, that's so cool. All right, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is reminding himself that not only did he get new life in Jesus, but he got a brand new identity. And now he belongs to Jesus, which is a powerful statement in and of itself. Um, But essentially, that means that God has completely changed his entire existence. He's a new creation. He's a new creature. So in the Old Testament, or even the New Testament, you see guys, remember, uh, uh, what was Peter's name before it became Peter? Anybody know? Simon. So whenever these people in the Bible get, you know, they start following Jesus, you notice they have these name changes? You know, it's like, like um, Abram changed his name to what? What was it? Abraham. And then Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. Yeah, how many of y'all feel like you got missed out on that deal, right? I mean, I got saved. I didn't mind to change. I'm going to be cool about Escobar or something. You know, something, I have a cool name or this is a, but no. I mean, that's Joe, the same old Joe. Everybody knows Joe. In fact, I'm tired of hearing Joe using illustrations. You know, you know, Joe the screwdriver. Why is it always a screwdriver? Anyway, just I'm venting a little bit. Um, so... But the point is, I didn't get a name change. But try to wrap your mind around the reality that you got something better than name change. You got an entire existence change. You're a whole new creation now. You're not even the same, you're not even the same human anymore. Like there's no creature on the planet like a Jesus follower. Think about that. Now, what do you mean? Like, does any other creature have the ability to teleport in time? Say, man, you are, you have lost it, Joe. Now think about it. I can be in my car, driving my car, simultaneously be in the throne room of heaven. Come on now. I don't even have wings. And I I can do that. And so can you. We can pray. We could be in spiritual places. That's a supernatural identity that we didn't have before we met Christ. But it's it's better than that even. Keep going in this passage. Let me talk a little bit more about this phrase, in Christ. How would you circle that phrase? That phrase is actually mentioned 130 times in the New Testament alone. And every time it's mentioned, it's, it's got such prolific implications for your life. We are in Christ. Um, there's entire theology built around that one phrase, that small two-word preposition. But you know what, it, in, in short, what it means? It means you belong to Jesus. Everything that belongs to Jesus, all that he has because of who he is, now you have direct access to because you are in Jesus. You belong to him. That's a cool, a very cool thought. Now, recently I read an article. This is interesting. I, I do a lot of stupid reading sometimes, and maybe you can identify. Anyway, I read an article um, from, BBC, from a BBC publication on the human brain. Listen to that. I told you it's weird. Okay, here we go. The human brain. Um, believe it or not, uh, according to this, the research, 
um, the way we think about ourselves is actually determined by um, two factors. You know, they're common, the way we think about this. Listen to this. Uh, research studies show that 10% of our total self-concept, the way we view ourselves, this is how we think about ourselves, 10% of the way we think about ourselves comes from our conscious thought. These are things we think about right now, present tense. I am handsome. I am short. I am muscular. Whatever it is, present tense. You're actively thinking about those things now. They say, you know, 10% of your, your, your brain is, is thinking about that. 10% is, of it is, is determining your self-concept. Let's check this. 90%, this is so important, 90% of our self-concept, the way we view ourselves, comes from our subconscious, our subconscious thought, meaning it's in your memory. So that means your past, the old man, that means 90% of what shapes the way we view ourselves is determined by our old man. You see the, the implications of that? So that means we got a problem here. When we come to verse 17, those of you who grew up in church, you can identify with this, and those of you who grew up outside of church, you're, you're going to de-church a little bit. Um, if you got saved later on in life, this is a massive problem, okay? Because in verse 17 it says that we, are, we have been given, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The old man is dead and gone, according to this verse. Remember, Jesus died in our place. The old Joe Catronio died with Jesus. Therefore, the old Joe Catronio doesn't have the right to tell me who I am today. That Joe Catronio's dead. Shut your mouth, Joe. All right. I know it sounds like I'm crazy, but I'm explaining the text. All right. So here's what he's saying. That, 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 that being the case, the new man in Christ, we have to help ourselves remind ourselves of who we truly are in Jesus. So how does this play out in our real life, Joe? Glad you asked. I, was, I want to show you this. There's some common lies that we believe ourselves, that we believe about ourselves that simply are not true. And I want to teach you how to do this. is called preaching the gospel to yourself. Paul also called it in Ephesians and in Romans, renewing your mind. So I'm going to teach you how to renew your mind, show you how to do this. Because 90% of how you view yourself is being determined by the old man. So we've got to learn to silence that those lies, take those thoughts captive that are saying you are this or you are that and tell yourself, no, no, because of Christ, I am this and I am that. So let me show you how it works. Um, a common lie that we tend to believe ourselves is number one, I am insignificant. You look at the mirror and you're thinking, I just, I'm insignificant. I'm like a pawn. I play no, I, I, I don't move the dial one bit when it comes to, to planting churches or when it comes to making disciples through, through living a sent life. I'm not Paul. I have a family. I have kids. I've got, I'm not him. I'm insignificant. Look how many people are in this room right now. Do you think my life is going to make a difference? That's a lie. Keep going. I am a failure is another one. Every time I try, every time I try, I fail. I make an idiot of myself when I open my mouth and start telling people about Jesus. I don't even know what to say. I'm going to fail if I do anything to live for Christ. Third thing, I am weak. I'm too weak. I, Joe, I'm, I'm struggling. I just don't, physically I'm weak. Emotionally, I'm, I'm like a, I'm so fragile. Like, I'm, I'm like, you have to walk around eggshells around me because I'm so sensitive and I'm so weak. I'm so, lie. Keep going. And these are lies we believe, isn't it? Am I right? We, believe, we say this to ourselves. Who's saying it, church? It's the old man. He's got no right to say that about us. Keep going. I am unable I'm unable. I don't have what it takes. You get on Facebook. 
man, so-and-so, she looks like she's a great mom. I'm, I, I, don't, I can't do that. Or, gee whiz, like she works out every day. Or, good night. I wish I could. I just don't have what it takes. I can't, I can't live this life. I mean, every week I come to church, and you're always telling me to live this and live that. I just I don't have what it takes. I'm unable to do it. It's a lie. Number five, here's the fifth lie. I am unwanted. That's a deep one. I'm unwanted. Especially if you came from a divorced home or if you came from a divorced situation or you've been abused. I'm unwanted. That's a lie. Now let me show you what happens when you are in Christ. Because I'm in Christ, this is what happens. I feel like there's a trampoline up here, okay? Because I'm in Christ, everything changed in my life. Everything. Let me show you how it works. I used to think that I was insignificant, but because I'm in Christ, now I'm a child. No, no, no. I'm an heir of God. I belong in heaven. Like, that's my home. Like, I'm just, I'm extremely valuable in heaven and on earth. Get out my way. That's what, that's what that verse is saying. Let me show you where it means. Let me take you to this passage. Eight, Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. I got to read this out loud. Here we go. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is true about you. This is true. This is the Bible. This is what God says about you. Um, you're a son of God or a daughter of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. We've been adopted by whom we cry, Abba, Father. But the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. What? That we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That is such a great passage of scripture to remind yourself. Yes, and you know what that might mean? It might mean you have to suffer a little bit for Jesus. But that's okay because you're a child of God. That's true. You are not insignificant. You are valued. All right, keep going. I am a failure. What do we say to that? Because in Christ, I am an overcomer. What is that? Where are you getting that from? I'm an overcomer. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, I want you to write that down. It's a great passage to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. I'm not a failure anymore. The passage says this, little children, you are from God. Amen. And have overcome them. For, who, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Wait, wait, who's the them in this passage? What's he talking about? It's all the haters in your life. <laughs> That's what it says. Shake off the haters. All the people that are Crossing their arms in doubt. Yeah, okay, you're going to try and make a disciple, big boy? Let's see how that works. Let's see how you blow that one up. Every time you talk, the doubters, the doubters. That's who he's talking about. All the people that are crossing their arms say, you're an addict, and you think you're going to make disciples of Jesus? Who are you kidding? Cross their arms, you know what this means? You are an overcomer, so they can silence them. They can't tell you who you are. This is who Jesus says you are. In Christ, you're an overcomer. All right, third, I am weak. No, 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 not in Christ. In Christ, I am strong. Isaiah 41, verse 10 tells us that. Look at this passage. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Church, say amen to that. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. God is going to strengthen us. There is nothing too hard for God. Is God's arm too short to help? No. He's strong. He'll help you with whatever it is you need help with. Right, keep going. Um, I am unable. Nope, in Christ. I am more than able. I love this. Philippians 4.13. Who can quote it? Anybody quote it? Can anybody say Philippians 4.13 by memory? Say it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things. All right. What once made me unable, what I once was unable to do in Christ, 
There ain't no stopping me, okay? All right, so keep going. Last one. I am unwanted in Christ. I am chosen by God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul told the Ephesians church, listen, um, you know, you are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, whole, they should be holy and blameless. We were chosen before the world even began. Think about that. Say, wait a minute. Didn't I have to choose God? Didn't God, how does that make sense? God chose me. I don't know how it makes sense. All I know is I am his. I am a child of God. That's all that I care about. In Christ, I am chosen by him. Therefore, I am greatly and desperately and passionately wanted by God. Tell yourself the gospel. That's what it means. That's how you renew yourself daily. The old man, 90% of your subconscious, the 90% of the way you think about yourself is informed by the old man. That's why you need the Bible to remind yourself of who you really are in Jesus. Your new identity, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Say, so, well, Joe, that's, that's great, but let's just cut right to it, man. Those are great promises and great truths, but I really am weak, like physically weak. I don't have the strength to endure the cancer that I'm in right now. I really am weak. And I, don't, I don't even have the strength to forgive my, my spouse or my, my family members or, or what has done for me. I don't have the ability to do that. I'm unable to do those things, okay? If that's your argument, let me show you a picture of a guy. Do you guys know who this guy is? Do you know who he is? Usain Bolt. He's the nine-time gold medalist Olympic, Olympic champion. Um, he's won gold medals in the 100-meter dash, or 100-meter, 200-meter, uh, uh, and the 400-meter um, sprints. He's the fastest man alive. Now, what would you all say if Joe Catronio, the muscular man I am, um, yeah, right, um, told you that I could beat Usain Bolt in a race? How many of you guys would believe me? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. I don't judge, you're judging me. Fold your arms like that. It's okay. All right, well, so here, here's the thing. Now, you would say, you, you, Joe, I think you've obviously lost, obviously lost your cotton-picking mind there. You certainly cannot uh, beat uh, Usain Bolt in a race. Now, let's say you put me, my 34-year-old, out-of-shape body with an IT band problem issues that I have, and you put me inside of a 2019 Ford Mustang. Now we're having a different conversation, aren't we? When I'm inside of that Mustang... And that thing has 460 horsepower behind it. I can smoke Usain Bolt every time. I can smoke him. Why? How can I do that? Because all of the speed that is inside of that engine is now available to me. When you are in Christ Jesus, all that he has, all that he is, is available to you. God is strong. Jesus overcame the grave. Do you think there's anything you're not able to do? You and I can make disciples around the world. We as a church can plant churches around the world. And I'm trying to get you to understand this is shaking up the Coke bottle. We've got to make sure we are abiding in a relationship with Jesus and understand who we are and whose we are. And therefore, the beginning is going to be amazing and the end is going to be even better when we are walking with Jesus. All right, let's keep going. I got one more thing I want to show you from this text um, and we'll be done. All right, um, so the third point I want you to see, the last point that Paul makes uh, about Jesus' love for us and how it transforms our life is this. He, because Jesus loves me, he reconciled me to God. Therefore, hold yourself, here we go. I am a minister through Jesus. Say, what? 
I am a minister through Jesus? Okay, everyone in the building, um, what do you mean I'm a minister? I thought you had to be like go to Bible college and like seminary to become a minister of Jesus. Well, not according to Paul. Here we go. Um, verse 18, he says, all of this is from God. You didn't do anything to make this a reality, okay? All of this is from God who through Christ, he reconciled us to himself. And then he gave us, here it is, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He wasn't counting their trespasses against them, but he entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So what is he saying here? I'm a minister? He says in verse 18 that he gave me a ministry of reconciliation? How do I... I thought, yeah, I thought you had to go to seminary, graduate, then you got to go to ordination school, and then you, had to go, then you became a minister. And according to this passage, everyone who's been saved, raise your hand. If you've been saved, you've been born again, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Amen. Okay. So everyone who just raised your hand, you have been deputized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Whatever kind of service you need to get it to your head, that you are a servant, a minister sent out with a reconciliation message of hope. That's who you are. Okay, now, now what does that mean? Um, what exactly does this mean to be in the ministry? Well, he makes it very clear. He tells us, one, ministry is about um, showing people that, that Christ loves them. That's what it means, showing people. The word ministry there, if you, if you want to underline that word ministry, it's the same word where we get the word deacon from in the English language. Deacons. The word deacon means to serve, to find needs and then serve them, meet the needs, physical needs, um, emotional needs. Whatever needs are around you, that's the ministry that God called you to. So how do I know if God's calling me to, to this ministry? Did you see it? Well, yeah, like, I mean, I saw the need right there. It was pretty, okay, if you saw it, it's yours, big boy. <laughs> Just, if, it, if you saw, if God made that divine appointment for you to see that, that's that person in the bathroom who's losing it because they're, they're, they have a wayward kid or they don't know how they're going to pay their bills, that's on you. And by the way, anybody who says that living the Christian life is boring, that's a mistake I don't know what kind of life you're living, but this Christian life is far from boring because you're going to encounter a lot of different circumstances where you're going to experience God giving you the ability to serve them through Jesus. What does that mean, through Jesus? Go back to the, first, the second point. Everything I need, I can have it in Jesus so that I can minister to the person's need. Physical, emotional, whatever. He'll help you. He will help you minister. Now, it's not just about showing people Jesus loves them. That's part of it. You know, doing good deeds, helping out homeless, helping people get a step up in life, that kind of thing. Those are all good things. But apart from um, explaining to them how much Jesus loves them, it's a miss. It's actually a grave disservice to the person. So the second thing about ministry that Paul points out, he says it's also, it's not just a ministry, a service, but it's also a message. There's a message you've got to tell people. So the second thing a ministry is, is about telling people who Jesus is. Okay, let me show you this. Sh doing good things for people, show people that Jesus loves them. Telling people about Jesus and sharing the gospel with them actually helps them know and understand that Jesus loves them. A lot of times we just stay over here and minister over here. But if you don't open your mouth and explain to them, the reason why I'm doing this is because this small little meeting of the need that I'm able to do and I'm glad to do is actually a small part of a bigger need that you have. And that's Jesus loves you. And the only way you're going to have a restored relationship with him and avoid the punishment, the penalty of our, of our disobedience 
is to have Jesus save you and for you to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That message of reconciliation has to come out um, as we uh, minister to people. So, uh, in a nutshell, being in ministry is showing and telling, as Pastor Brock does such a great job explaining, that's what the ministry is about. All right, so Paul absolutely leaves zero room for confusion here. He ends in verse 21 um, by making it very clear, just in case we miss the point, what exactly is this ministry of reconciliation? Well, he tells us, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. This is Jesus. He made Jesus. God made Jesus to be sin. What? Yeah, he did it for you. He didn't even know any sin. He never sinned a day in his life. Here's the reason why. So that in him, in Jesus, we might become, listen to this last part, we might become the righteousness of God. Not not be made righteous. No, we are receiving all of the righteousness of God. Let that sink in a little bit. All of the righteousness of who God is, the perfect righteous God, is now given to you. It's called the great exchange, also known as the doctrine of imputation. Here's how it works. God looked down at Jesus and said, I want to have all of my, all that, all the sin that Joe Catronio and the rest of humanity um, has brought upon himself, all the punishment I'm going to give to Jesus. And all of Jesus' righteousness, I'm going to give to them. There's a crossing of hands here. I was in my office trying to think of how do I illustrate that? And the Bible did such a great job. I'm just going to use the Bible. Remember the story in Jacob and Joseph when Joseph brought his sons to Jacob right before he was going to die? And uh, he said that he had his younger son and older son. Usually the blessing goes to the older son. The, all the inheritance, the, the rights of privilege uh, go to the older son and the family. Well, Jacob, when he was blessing his sons, crossed his hands. And so everything that the, the older son should have got, the younger son, it went to the younger son, and everything that the younger son should have got went to the older son. He crossed his hands. Say, why is that such a big deal? Because at the cross of Jesus, God crossed his hands. You got all that belonged to Jesus, and Jesus got all that belonged to you. That's what he did. Now, remember this context here. Why did Paul bring this up? Because I believe God's trying to say, or Paul making a point here. That's why it looks like I'm living a crazy life. Because everything that God has given to me I'm not holding on to. I'm not keeping for myself. I'm not doing these, this. I'm not living this life for myself. No, I'm crossing my hands like God did in Jesus. So what I have belongs to this person who doesn't know Jesus. This is the reason why I live now. So that they can be reconciled to God. If you've got any gifts um, that you have. Maybe you've got a gift in leadership. Maybe you've got a gift in financing. You've got a gift, whatever the gifts are. You're using it not for your advantage, church. We're using it for other people to understand who Jesus is. That's called the great exchange, and God is inviting us into that as well. In a short statement, here's what Paul points out in this passage. Simply put, abiding in God's love causes me to live out God's love. Abiding in Jesus stirs my heart to where I simply have to share all that Jesus has done in my heart with other people. I'm a minister. I'm a minister through Christ. So I have, a, I have a new life, I have a new identity, and I have a ministry. Why? Because of who God is, what God has done in my life. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as we get ready to end the service. There's a lot here in this passage, but why, why do we spend time here? 
Because abiding with Christ should never stop with just you enjoying God. That's the beginning of it. Your joy that you receive in Jesus when you're alone with him, and as Pastor Brock said in a a serious but yet funny way, just worshiping God by staring at a tree and being amazed at that by staying connected to the vine, I'm able to produce fruit, and it's not doing anything by itself. It's just producing fruit. That's a great point. But what's the point of the illustration? It's so that you can bear fruit in your life so that other people can see and know Jesus loves them. So church, never try to live the Christian life out by a a checklist of do's and don'ts. Live the Christian life out as an overflow of your time with Jesus during the week. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together like this. And I pray specifically that you would continue to grab a hold of our hearts, Lord, and transform us and give us an all-consuming passion to make much of your son, Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name.